Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Gabby Roslin Hello, Gabby Roslin here. Thank you so much for listening. I was so interested to chat to this week's guest. She is a Sunday Times best-selling author, teacher, blogger, and host of the number one careers podcast in the UK called Control-Alt-Delete. It's Emma Gannon. She is fascinating. We chat about the funny reality of finding a career, the power of social media for positivity, and how to deal with internet trolls. We talk about her brilliant teaching and the impact that encouragement from a teacher can have on someone's life. Plus, her love of comedians Eddie Izzard and Mickey Flanagan And I love that when she talks to people at dinner parties, she wants to ask people what they do in their spare time, not what job they do. Enjoy. Please can I ask you a favour? Would you mind, please, following and subscribing by pressing the follow or subscribe button on the show? Now, I have to tell you, this really honestly does not cost any money. It's completely free. And then if you wouldn't mind, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, which is the purple app on your iPhone or iPad. You simply scroll down to the bottom of all of the episodes and you'll see the stars where you can tap to rate and press write a review. It would mean the world to us. Thank you so much. Hello, Emma Gannon. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so lovely to talk to you because I listen to you all the time. I listen to you all the time as well. So we're doing a bit of a crossover. It's very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Mutual Appreciation Society. Do you know what I find so exciting about these days? As a career, you can be called a podcaster because, I mean, people know you for your podcast. They know you for your writing. I mean, you're brilliant writing and you're a teacher as well. But being called a podcaster, I just think that's so great. I love it. I love looking at the iTunes homepage and just seeing so many different people on there from huge broadcasters like Stephen Fry to, you know, independent shows where it's just two teenagers in their bedroom. Like, it's amazing. I love it. And but you were very early on to all of this. I mean, living online was how you started, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I I guess it was. I am a millennial and wrote a lot about that because I think growing up on dial-up internet, you kind of get to know it in a new way. It wasn't like we just got handed an iPhone. We kind of grew up with the internet and alongside it. So you're kind of living through quite an interesting period of time, I think. And now it's so funny because I am not on TikTok. I don't understand a lot of stuff that Gen Z are doing now. So I'm in this kind of 
weird middle limbo, it feels. You've just really shocked me. I would have thought you knew how it all worked. I mean, if I was to have a question, I'd sort of, I'd call you up, although I don't have your number. But you know what I mean. I'd call you up and I'd say, oh, what's this? (laughs) And you say, ah, well, Gabby, let me explain it. But you feel stuck in this weird world. Yeah, well, I think, you know, millennials are in their 30s and 40s now. And I think we've always been the young, cool one in the meeting room for a long time. And then suddenly it flips and suddenly that's not the case anymore. I've got a 23-year-old coming on my show in a few weeks and I've just been reading her book. And I feel I feel, I feel like I'm going to be old while interviewing her and just kind of reflecting on what I was doing when I was 17 because she was saying that she'd started her own business on Instagram when she was 17. So I think things have changed so much. Hold on, you really don't, you really don't mean you're going to feel old. I don't feel old. I just feel that I'm not in my 20s anymore. So you kind of associate that, I suppose, with a different level of success or a different life choice or slowing down. I think that I think it's the same for all people know that you reach a milestone. I think 30 is quite big for women. It's quite an interesting milestone for women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, because of course, I've got years to go till I turn 30. (laughs) She lies. But but see, for me, age is, and as corny as it sounds, is just a number, because I'm not having anybody ever say to me, oh, you're too old to do this, or you can't wear this, or you mustn't do this, or you, you know, when, um, if you do reels or something on Instagram, I go, oh, at your age, even if anyone said that to me, I'd go mad. Yeah, I mean, I have half siblings who are in their late 40s, one of my sisters is 50, and to me, she will always be the same age, which is like a 30-year-old, you know, I don't think age has the same a meaning to it maybe anymore I think we're all quite similar as in I dress the same as her we talk about the same things we're really close I don't see her as being 50 um and when I think about it I think wow yeah we are 20 years apart but it doesn't feel the same as it used to maybe oh I love that oh you can stay I'll talk to you every day <laughs> thank you very much so now you actually you studied English and film what was the moment that that as I said, author, podcaster, teacher. I want to talk about your teaching as well because you're you're they're brilliant. Um, but what was the point at which it this all became the career and not the English and film at Southampton, if you see what I mean? Well, I did that standard thing where I went to university and picked a random subject. Well, not random, but just very very broad, so that I could make sense of it later down the line, I suppose. So picked English and film. Absolutely loved the course and. Southampton has an amazing big library and I geeked out in there and I did go out loads as well but I also love books realized that was a real passion um and then graduated and sort of didn't really know what to do I remember googling what do I do with an English degree it was that basic really yeah and then what I did it say oh it said go into PR <laughs> which is what I did and I've realized that having PR skills and having marketing skills and knowing how to sell something or to reach people and connect with people is actually the basis of everything we do as creatives, I think. You know, knowing a, knowing how to sell my book and PR my book is really useful. So it was never wasted. But yeah, that's what I did at the beginning. Uh, but when you were at university, okay, so you Googled what to do afterwards, which I love that. But but you must have gone in with some ideas of what you're going to do. Were you? Was it literally open? Were you just thinking, hey, I don't know, whatever comes my way, I'm going to do? Well, I thought, I mean, I graduated into a recession. It was 2010. And at university, I remember someone coming in and saying, half of you will be lucky to get a job. So 
good luck. It wasn't exactly empowering or exciting. It was quite scary, actually. Lovely, optimistic. Yeah, it was really depressing. And they were just saying, get any job. And, um, you know, that's what we did. That's what, what a lot of my year did. I remember- Sorry, it's really? <laughs> yeah. This is, I'm really shocked by that because as somebody, now because you've become a teacher as well, I and I would hate to ever say that to anybody. Oh, well, it's not going to happen. You know, when people say, I want to be a, a TV presenter, have you got any advice? I just say, follow your dreams. I, but but I would never say, no, don't do it, because most people aren't in work. I just think that's such a negative thing to say. Yeah, it was very scaremongering. And I, you know, I was quite an entrepreneurial at one of my jobs in my spare time. And I started earning money on the side of a job. And I think nowadays people would think, oh, great, my side hustle's going really well. I'll quit my job and I can make that work. But I was so scared to quit because of all those scaremongery things that people told me at uni that I stuck in a, I was stuck in a job I didn't like for longer than I should have been, if that makes sense. So I think that's why I do what I do now and why I write my books and why I'm a, I am a teacher and why I'm doing a lot of work with the World Literacy Foundation, getting young kids into reading and writing and following their dreams because... I guess no one really said that to me. That's such a shame. How how was your family, though? Were they more supportive? Really supportive, but I didn't know anyone who earned money from writing. That wasn't something I saw. I didn't have any artists in my family, which I always fantasise about when, you know, people say, my mum was an artist and just painted all day. I'm like, oh, that must have been so nice to grow up with that. Um, My parents were really encouraging and my dad started his own business kind of later in life and that re- did really well so I think that was a positive impact but no everyone had a very normal job in a, in a town you know it was like the lawyers and the butchers and the bakers everyone had a job it wasn't normal to go and be an artist and make money from it. See I love then that you that you had the support from your parents but you also didn't listen to those people god I'm I'm so oh, to, to those lecturers and to those people at university that did that don't don't do it. My God. Um, uh, can we talk about side hustle? Because you mentioned it already. And obviously, that's a big thing that you talk about. But whoever's listening to this, if they if they don't not sure what side hustle is, or if they want to do a side hustle or be a success at it. Come on, you're the woman with the best advice for this. Um, yeah, I suppose so. I, I mean, I think everyone has passion projects and interests. I don't know if it has to be a side hustle. But I think if you go to any dinner party and sit down next to someone, you might ask them what they do. You might ask them what their job is. But I'm sort of more interested in what people do on the side or what they do for a hobby, whether someone, you know, has some strange interest that they do in the evenings. I think that's what makes us who we are. So if I'm sat next to a lawyer at a dinner party and they actually, I don't know, are into gardening, like I'd, I'd much rather actually talk about the gardening. I think I'm interested in the the things we do on the weekends more than the day job sometimes. And that's where the side hustle crosses over. That's that's really what a side thing is. I'm not sure if I like the phrase side hustle anymore. I'm kind of interested in side project or passion project, which I think during this COVID era, we've seen people do have them and they're actually embracing them more than ever perhaps that's so funny because side hustle seems to go hand in hand with you and now you don't like that phrase but actually we've we can all change can't we we can all move on yeah I mean I didn't invent side hustle I think it's quite American and I'm not I'm not you know against it I still like the phrase I think it's become more mainstream which is brilliant but 
it also isn't for everyone and I wouldn't say you know you have to have a side hustle because I think some people's lives are full enough I think it's for people who feel like something's missing and maybe their job is kind of sucking their soul a little bit and actually doing something they love on a Sunday afternoon can be amazing and even some doctors even recommend therapy in art or in writing or in having a hobby outside of work so it's meant to be a positive it's not meant to be extra work no I love that I have to say I'm all for it I think it's I think we all need it actually Uh, and as you say in the past um over the covid year as people are now calling it um people have realized how important that is definitely I think we've seen it with people who have been furloughed even you know people that I know who never really dabbled in anything on the side they when they had spare time it was amazing how creative they got someone I know made masks in their spare time from recycled material and I thought my god this is someone that said they weren't creative and here they are buying fabrics online and making things and I think it's in our human nature to be creative and I think everyone is so it's nice I mean, obviously, it's not been a nice situation and there isn't really silver linings. But if someone has been able to realise that they like other things or they could start their own business or they have time to themselves again to kind of reflect on their whole life, I think that can be quite positive. Can we talk about living online? Um, Because a lot of people are frightened of it. A lot of people are excited. But, you know, it's a real it's it's quite extraordinary place to live um and there there are a lot of there's a lot of negativity and and protecting yourself so what advice would you give to um anybody of any age because we're saying I'm, I'm not going to say young people who are trying to do this because it could be somebody in their 70s who suddenly says you know what this is what I've always wanted to do how can you protect yourself in this delicate place because it can go the wrong way sometimes yeah it's really true and I think we're realizing more and more unfortunately how little protection we have I you know I I still go on Twitter I still quite enjoy it I still like making jokes with other writers who are bored on there clearly procrastinating but you know the amount of hatred and really awful abuse that goes on on there is terrible and not really being dealt with I mean you can block people but surely we should have some way of dealing with it now that we're this many decades into using the internet it should be illegal people should be held responsible you know people get away with all sorts still so I think it's worth bearing in mind that this is a huge topic it's not easy and we've got some real change to make but I think first step is setting boundaries for your own your own use and just realizing what's making you feel bad and maybe experimenting with having different amounts of time on it or unfollowing things that you're not loving anymore and just really putting a fence around what works for you because I think it's different for all of us. But it's still, it's very interesting because you, you talk about Twitter and and, and blocking and a, a friend of mine who's very well known uh, got a lot of abuse suddenly um, for something that she did, which was, I mean, I, I still don't understand why she got the abuse she did. And she said, you know, she did that thing about blocking and blocking and deleting. She said, but it's affected her deeply. And it's very easy to say, don't let it affect you, but it does. But it's also a fantastic place to live, isn't it? It can be really exciting. It's so exciting. And I always want to touch on the positives of the internet and not just because it's 
you can build a career and make a living and you know work in your own way which is very empowering if you want to work in a different way than traditional setups have allowed us and I think yeah you can make friends we can raise money for things there's a lot of activism it's an incredible place for connection but I think you have to make that work for you I don't think we can blame the internet for things the internet isn't actually a living breathing thing we use it so yes if the internet is bad it means humans are bad if the internet is good on a, one day that means humans are being nice on that day so I think you know we need to treat the internet as a real place it's not online and offline this is just life and I think we know that now from from COVID we're all spending a lot of time on the internet because it's the only way we can talk to our friends and family so if you are walking down the street and you see someone being abusive it should be the same reaction as if you see someone being abusive to someone online. And I think that distinction of, oh, it's the internet, that's sort of the problem because actually it's not the internet, it's us. That's so interesting because people forget that. I, I, but I also think that a lot of people forget when they say nasty things that they forget it's a human being that is going to be feeling that. It's not their computer totally. <laughs> or their telephone that's going to be feeling that. Yeah, and I think I really feel lucky that I've grown up on the internet. I do, I do, it's not that I'm really savvy and really techy. It's not that. It's more I've seen it grow and evolve over time. And I think in my 20s, I dealt with I dealt with trolls. I, you know, I was a journalist at a magazine for a long time. I dealt with really horrible comments. And I can see now, I can see a little bit of the psychology behind people do it why people do it and I'm not saying it's okay but I what do you oh tell me tell me well I've I've reached out to people who have messaged me really horrible things and the minute that you message them back or and I'm not saying you should always message back but the times that I have they immediately apologize and they immediately say I'm really sorry I'm having a really terrible time and that thing you did made me feel bad and there's a lot more beneath the surface I don't think it's just these faceless trolls I think they're human beings who are probably going through something but it's not to say it's okay because it's never okay. So let's go to your teaching now. Where does it come from? Where does it come from in you? Probably going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, really, just knowing how powerful it can be when someone looks you in the eyes and says, I believe you can do this. You know, it doesn't take much to remember that someone thought it was possible. And especially in the realm that I work in, which is creativity, I'm so passionate about people feeling like they can do things. And I've heard so many stories of grown adults who are saying, oh, I've, you know, I've not picked up a pen since I was 12 because someone at school told me I was rubbish. And I just really don't like that. And I, and if I can do anything to, you know, do the opposite of that, I, I will. And it's a great feeling. And I know that it sounds really cliche, but whenever I do my teaching or any lectures, it's not, I'm not really, I mean, I am teaching things, but I feel like I go away with so much as well. And it it goes both ways. I learn so much from the people that I meet on those courses as well. But teaching, you have to have a real... I mean, obviously, those people at Southampton that said that, they didn't have the thing I'm about to talk about. But there has to be real empathy and sympathy and kindness. And um, the way you do it, you don't... You, you do it that you bring people in and you don't make any, make anybody feel strange or different. And that's important. I like to think so. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm, you know, I'm, re I'm quite early into this and I've got a lot to learn myself. But yeah, I think you know when you like something and I think you just need to navigate towards what makes you feel good in your job as well as everything else. And I, yeah, I get a good feeling when I'm, when I'm doing that stuff. But the other thing I would say is 
I do a lot of digital classes now where I don't actually meet the students and I don't really I know that they leave comments and I read them but I don't see them face to face and I kind of like that we're in this world where we can just tap into things and learn things and take a class for 10 minutes and then go and do something else and it's it's a great time for learning new skills and I think as much as school and university and everything is is great and we should all do that and take it seriously I am a big fan of self-teaching I think we can teach ourselves things. What is success then to you? Um, I think it's definitely changed into my 30s. I mean, I'm 31, but I definitely felt a shift. I think in my 20s, it was about looking successful. I think in my 30s, it's feeling genuinely happy and good in myself. And so that's not so much about how it looks, but how it feels. And I've definitely seen a change there. What do you mean looking successful? Do you mean... The out, outward, how people how people perceive you about how you look, do you mean? Yeah, I think in my 20s it was definitely how does my LinkedIn page look and where am I working and who knows about all the things I'm doing. That was definitely a thing in my 20s. I remember working at Condé Nast and thinking that was my Devil Wears Prada moment of success and I loved it there. But my life now, I think, is far more successful Um, But I probably couldn't walk into a room and impress people with one single line anymore. But that's not really the point of success for me now, I suppose. Please tell me it was like that, like Devil Wears Prada. Was it like, go on, just say it was, even if it wasn't. Uh, Yes, it was. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now was it really? Um, No, nothing's ever like the films. Nothing's ever like that, sadly. Oh, you see, but we've got to have a little bit of that. See, we have to, ha- I think I think in some ways you would just imagine fashion magazines to be like that and you imagine American high schools to be like they are in the movies and you imagine, you know, when you fall in love that you're going to roll around on the beach on the very first date and he's going to look into your eyes. You know, sometimes yes. we do need the movies to give us that. I totally agree and I want the magazines to be like that and they did look like that but they weren't like that in real life and I think that it, there is a distinction and I think we all need to be aware of it. Instagram isn't reality. I love looking at yes. lovely pictures pictures and I love I love beautiful models and I love looking at gorgeous photos but that is not real and I think the sooner we know that the better I think we all do know that really we know that the picture of the Maldives and the beautiful couple we know that they argued on the plane and that they had a horrible journey getting there we know that really but we just don't (laughs) want to believe it Um, Okay, so let's go to the podcast now. It's massively successful. Everybody talks about it. Did you have that in mind when you were launching it? Did you think, okay, I know what where I want to go with this? Or did you just go with it? Because it's not like any others. It is different. And did you plan that? Thank you. That is so nice to hear, especially as there's 100 bazillion million podcasts, which I'm so happy about because I'm a real podcast listener. And I love that feeling of discovering a new one. But yeah, it's um, you want to be you want to be different, even if you're talking about similar subjects. Five years ago, weirdly, there wasn't really anyone doing a techie work podcast. There were some American ones, but, you know, even five years ago, the podcast industry looked different. So I'm so happy that I got in there at a good time. I didn't know that I was getting into something bigger than what I thought because now it is a functioning business and I pay people and it is an actual thing, which I have to remember because I still treat it as a hobby and people around me are like, Emma, this isn't a hobby. This is your job now. (laughs) But I love doing it, but I really, really didn't know that that's what it was going to become. I was going to do eight episodes. That was the plan to 
promote my first book, which was Control Alt Delete, which came out when I was 26. And now, you know, five years later, the podcast is is big. And I don't want to take that for granted either. I think it's it's a real privilege to have a platform. So I like to pick wisely what, you know, what I do on it. And it's all down to you. It is. And I, I do really like that because having worked in magazines and as much as I love magazines, if you work there, you're not the editor, obviously. You are just one person who c- contributes to the whole Unless thing. Unless you're the editor. Unless you're the editor. But even then, you don't really get a say. I think you've got probably got someone in a suit above you telling you what to do. So it's amazing to have that editorial control and pick the topics I want to talk about. It is amazing. And also not interview people about the things that back in the day people did interview, especially women about. You know, there was also... There was always the, oh, your film's great, let's talk about it, but also, are you pregnant? Yeah, you know, oh, there was always like this don't, weird don't. scoop that people needed to get. And I'm anti scoop. Yes. I don't want a scoop. If anyone comes on my podcast, it's the opposite of that. So I yeah. agree. Good for you. I, do you know the worst thing? Do you know what the worst thing, as somebody who's an interviewer for over 30 years, in fact, the longer than you've been alive, which is a bit weird, but also somebody who's been interviewed, if anybody ever says to me, how do you do the mummy juggle? I just want to go mad. Go, what do you, what, what, what? Well, do you know what though? I don't say it like that, but I sometimes as a 31 year old who is not sure I want to have children, I do sometimes look at people and think, please tell me something because I'm scared. <laughs> and I don't know actually quite how we all are meant to do it all the time perfectly. So maybe I'm coming at it from a different angle, but I definitely, definitely am not a fan of those mummy, mummy angle questions. No. No. What are you scared of? I think I just, I'm not quite sure how people do it. And I know that sounds really cliche, like you just said, probably not a great thing to say, but I just mean, life is quite full for me right now. I'm not sure how I would chuck in something completely huge like having a baby. And I think people make it look very easy and I don't think it is. Oh, it's not easy. It's not easy. And anybody that tells you it's easy, I, I'm going to just for, take it from, from somebody who um, I, my, I wouldn't do anything but for my girls come first my girls absolutely come first but but it's it's very it is tough it's it is tough and that's another thing going back to instagram when people have their babies and they stand there and everything's beautiful and everything's fine and the everything's neat and tidy and they've done all the washing and they they've had their hair washed you don't you won't wash your hair for a while just remember that you won't wash your hair it's tough but it's it is a great gift but you'll know if you want children, if the time is right and don't let anybody push you into it. That is the weirdest thing is people always go, oh, you haven't had a baby yet. When are you going to have a baby? Are you going to have a baby? Are you never going to have a baby? And then when you have a baby, it's when are you going to have another baby? Yeah, uh, definitely. And because those questions are definitely coming from me for me, definitely. Um, but it's nice having close friends who are, who are having kids now because I get to ask them all of the all of that stuff, you know, the gritty truth of it all that is the opposite of Instagram. And it's nice to hear how it really is. It's important. And that's actually that's what friends are for. I really do think that. So you love what you do, don't you? But it's also I, I know you've talked about obsession and workaholic and passion. So where do you stand on all of those? It's interesting because I think I would say I probably was a workaholic in my 20s. Definitely looking back, I think, wow, you really weren't there for people, perhaps as much as now I would be. I, I think it, I think you, you get a little bit of a um, 
I don't know, people kind of say in your 20s that you're allowed to be a bit messy and chaotic and get things wrong. Maybe that's the decade to mess things up and that's fine. But looking back, I don't think I was maybe the best friend I could have been. I don't think I... I just didn't have a lot of time for people because I was obsessed with my work. I really was. And I've got to say, I'm kind of reaping the rewards of it now in quite a nice way because I'm slowing down, but I've built my business and I've built a foundation and that's great. But yeah, I definitely think I had a bit of a addiction to work, I would say, in my 20s, which now I'm reflecting on and 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 realising that burnout is real. And now I don't want to be like that anymore. Okay, so for somebody who is feeling like that, then how do you stop? Because if you if you are a workaholic or if you're obsessed, how do you stop if it's making you feel good? Well, I think the first step, like anything, like any addiction or or ism, is to admit to yourself because you don't really want to admit to yourself. And it's very sneaky with work because you can say, oh, but it's really fun or oh, but it, you know, makes me money or it makes me feel good. It's a good thing. I think you kind of have to be realistic with yourself. And even if your job and addiction is writing books and doing lovely things, it's still taking over a large percentage of your life. And nothing nothing should be, you know, that 80, 90% taking over. We do need an element of balance, I think, to feel good about ourselves and feel like we're being in integrity and being ourselves. And family and friends you know, that is the core, I think, of the human experience is connecting with people and being loved by people and loving others, being in a community. And I think it comes down to individualism, which is when you think as an individual, your life and your choices come first. And I think we have to unpick that a little bit. You're you're fascinating. I, I mean, that's why I mean, I think your lectures, your teachings are great. How how far are you going to take that? Please say you're going to take it further. I don't really know what the next step would be for it. I, I guess I'm just, I'm going to keep doing it. But I don't know if there's like a ladder to climb in terms of, of teaching. It's more just meeting lots of different people. Professor Emma Gannon at a university. That's maybe you could be a professor. I would actually love that. And you know, it's really sad why it's because at university, I did have a nice time. But I am slightly dyslexic and I like to say it because I think people who want to be writers who are told they're dyslexic can often feel bad about themselves. So I do like the idea of going back there as a professor and just being, you know, a bit of a revenge. Oh, yes. Can you visiting Professor Emma again? And you'll see those those teachers that weren't very supportive and, and you'll just say, oh, hello, I'm the visiting professor now. And they, they'd be all bowing and scraping. Although I don't imagine you'd want somebody to bow and scrape to you. No, no, definitely not. I'd feel very weird about that. <laughs> <laughs> so we always ask on this podcast, what makes you laugh? What makes you properly belly laugh? And, you know, you're a hard worker and all of those things, but now you're the ripe old age of 31, um, I hope you can still uh, hold on to those things that make you properly belly laugh. What are they? I love watching comedians on YouTube. I mean, I, I, I'm. this is probably a really sort of basic answer, but just memes on Instagram as well, funny clips, like the basic tripe that you find on Instagram when you're just scrolling through. I think anything like that just takes you immediately out of your day and you just start laughing. I would also say my nieces and nephews, because I just think kids are hilarious. They don't even know they're being hilarious. Um, But I really like this question because I think most people have forgotten to have fun by a certain age. And I think it's really important to have fun. It really, really is. And, And 
it's very interesting the amount of people that will either say, as you said, would be comedians. I want to know which comedians. So who do you, you saying you find in comedians? Who are the ones that you really like? Oh, I like so many. I like Eddie Izzard. I like Mickey Flanagan. Oh, who else do I? I mean, I I go to Edinburgh Fringe every year and finding do you. Yeah, I love it so much. I was so sad it wasn't on last year. I know nothing was on, but Fringe not happening felt like a dagger through the heart because that is just the best time for everyone ever. Um, and finding those new comedians when they're just in a little basement. I remember seeing Michelle Wolf one year when she was, well, just new. And then she's got a Netflix show now. And it's really cool when you see people grow like that. And do you like it? So is it the sort of humour? Because obviously Eddie's humour, I mean, she's she's incredible. I, I've seen her live um, and has me properly practically peeing the seat I mean I'm you know I'm being completely honest there um but it's observational humor is that what you like then as well that's what I love yeah things that are I mean it's such a skill isn't it that those storytellers that yeah come back to themes that take you it's not just comedy it's almost telling the truth about the world in a very very clever way (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they say it like we are all thinking, but we haven't said out loud. Very important. Yeah. Very important. It's very yeah. funny. My So I'd love you to do, because my dad, who's in his 80s, listens to this. And my girls who are teenagers always go on about memes. And he still cannot get his head around it. it and actually, it makes them laugh. He goes, but what is a meme? But why is it called a meme? And then when you just saying it, you just... It, Honestly, every single time, that makes me laugh. It's the stupidest thing. But my dad saying, what is a meme? (laughs) Somebody needs to do a meme of somebody saying that. I feel like a lot of people's parents have been getting into memes during the COVID year as well. I don't know if you've had that with anyone older in your life who suddenly just sends you a meme. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, why are you sending this to me? (gasps) That's what I meant Why I'm laughing because he sends it. And then the girls will say to him, that's a meme. But what isn't that? That's what you've done. So I hope you're going to carry on doing more of everything you're doing. I mean, do do you have hopes, dreams and ambitions now? Do you know where you want it to go? Well, I wrote a book called The Multi-Hyphen Method a few years ago. It was about being a multi-hyphen. Wonderful book. And it feels like at the time I, I was proud of it, but I felt like I couldn't stand completely behind it. I don't know why. I just didn't feel like solidly confident about it for some reason maybe it's because I was in my 20s when I wrote it but now I think god being a multi-hyphenate is amazing and it's and it's really helped during hard times I mean having multiple income streams having multiple interests I feel secure I feel happy I I think it's a great way to work and I'm glad I wrote that book but it just means that whenever anyone tries to say you know, what do you like the most or what's your favourite thing? I get to say, well, I I don't have one favourite. I like doing lots and lots of things. And that's what I love. But my debut novel, Olive, came out last year. The paperback's out this year. And I want to write more novels. That's um, something I've really, really loved. But haven't you started the next one? Or didn't I read that you've started the next one? Yeah, I've started the next one. Yeah, it's it's a really long journey, novels. It's It's a long slog. It's not I love doing the podcast because sometimes I can interview someone and I can put it up the next day and I think, oh, I've made something that I'm proud of and I get to post it within a day. But a novel is years, it's years of work. So um, it's it's good for people who are used to instant val- validation. I think we need to spend years on, on something sometimes. 
So I'm I'm enjoying it in a different way. Can you tell us anything about it, or do have you got what stage are you at with it? I'm at first draft stage, um, but it should be coming out next year. So I've got a lot to do this year, but. my creativity was zapped last year I know I've heard this from a lot of other Mm. people a lot of other writers that just staring at the same four walls was awful I had no mojo I had no ideas I get I get ideas from being with my friends I get ideas from laughing with my family or being on a bus or being in a different country it was bad so I'm getting it back and thank god (laughs) thank god it is you what? You're a walker as well, aren't you? Yeah, I love walking. I used to find it so weird that adults liked walking when I was younger. I remember people saying, "I I go walking as a hobby," and I think, "What is that? That looks so boring." Now I get it. I completely get it. I'm in. I'd go on like a five hour walk now. It is amazing for getting ideas, but it's just good for the soul, isn't it? Just getting out. Good for the soul and good for the planet. Um, uh, Emma, what a joy to speak to you. Thank you so much. And thank you. Uh, and I, I, th- I think you're, you've got so much to give. I'm so excited for you. That's a strange thing to say, but I'm so excited for you for what what's next because and do more teaching because if anybody hasn't seen her talks and her teachings just just go and google them find her ecosia them even um just go and find emma because uh just fascinating really fascinating thank you so much emma thank you very much indeed and have a lovely rest of your day thank you you too that gabby roslin podcast is proudly produced by cameo productions music by beth Macari. could you please tap the follow or subscribe button and thank you so much for your reviews i promise that the team and i have read them all and we really are rather overwhelmed and they really mean the world to us so thank you so much if you kindly leave a review or a comment that would be lovely thank you Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.